All right. Hey, Rockbridge, my name is Matt. Let me welcome you wherever you've gathered to join us at any of our six locations in northwest Georgia and uh, the Tennessee Valley, or maybe you've gathered us in our online ministry platform. Hey, we're just glad you're here. We're fired up and excited you're here. We're going to wrap up a series that we began a few weeks ago. We're going to wrap it up this weekend. It's called The Bottom Line. And, and what we've said is, you know, hey, the, the bottom line that God has asked us to do in his name as his representatives, as his people for such a time as this, is to love other people as he has loved us, is to love other people as he's loved us. And we sort of had to come to a, a kind of maybe a, a point of confession. For some of us, it was repentance. And it was, hey, we've all been discipled. We've all learned love from somebody or we've learned love from our culture, we've learned love from Hollywood, we've learned love maybe from our families of origin or our traditions, or maybe even our preferences have dictated what we thought, what we viewed, how we experienced or practiced love. But have we, have we ever come to where we said, King Jesus, would you disciple us in the area of love? Would you teach us in the area of love? And so we've been hanging out for the past three weeks, today's the fourth week in the love chapter of the Bible, 1 Corinthians 13, and just saying, hey, God, teach us how to love, because I'm not sure any of us get it right, and I'm not sure we've thought about it the right way. So, so in that spirit, I want to ask you to do something wherever you're gathered, if you're able. We're going to read God's Word together. If you wouldn't mind, just as an act of worship, stand, and we're going to read His Word, and then we'll move forward and teach it. So this is the last part of the verse where it says, or the chapter, it says, love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things, love never ends. But as for prophecies, they will come to an end. As for tongues, the gift of speaking in tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will come to an end. Now these three remain, faith, hope, and love, but the greatest of these is love. And then he starts the next chapter with this phrase, pursue love. Let's pray together. God, we just want to invite you here. We want to believe with, by faith and expectancy that none of us are engaged here this weekend by accident, that you've got something to say to us. You've got something you want to teach us, show us, comfort us in, convict us of, whatever it might be, God, you're going to speak individually to people here today. You're going to speak to couples. You're going to speak to families. You're going to speak to this church corporately and collectively, God, as we just surrender and submit ourselves before you and say, Jesus, teach us how to love as you've loved us. Teach us how to love as you've loved us. And we pray all this thing, these things in the strong name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen and amen. You can have a seat. Thank you so much for that. Now, <clears throat> as we dive into 1 Corinthians 13 for the fourth week and, and process this passage, there's a couple of things that just jump out that we just want to make sure we're all aware of. The first one is this, love is not supposed to end or cease. So bears, believes, hopes, endures, never ends. Talk about this steadfastness of love. Talks about that love is, is, is not supposed to just stop and start and wax and wane. Now, now, if you're honest with yourself and I'm honest with myself, what does our culture teach us about this? Well, I just don't love them anymore. That's just not a biblical statement that a Christ follower who's being discipled by Jesus can make with any kind of authority or any kind of substance. Well, I've just fallen out of love. I just don't see that as an option if we're sitting under the authority of the, of the Word of God, if we're sitting under the authority of the one who loved us to the cross. 
And so that, that's when we say we've got to unlearn some things uh, that we've picked up along the way about love, that love is a noun that you fall into and you can fall out of it. No, love here is a verb, right? And love's not supposed to end. And, and so God through Paul, God through the Holy Spirit is just saying, hey, love's not supposed to end. Love is not supposed to be as fragile as we presume it to be. You know what I mean? I mean, it, it, love, love, the way modern society and the way maybe many of us view it and think of it is just sort of fragile. And, and this would say what we've just read in God's word is love is not fragile. It's actually enduring. It's actually tough. It's persevering. It's unwavering. It's constant and it's stable. And honestly, most of us, that's not what we would say when we describe love. I mean, we can't, you don't want to find that on a Hallmark card, would you? Much less a Hallmark movie, Right. Now, now here's, the, here's sort of, now, so, so on the back end of this, there's a little bit of what I'd call bad news, but it's not really bad news, it's just going to be tough, okay? And, and, and I want you to think about this. To, to do these four verbs, love bears, love believes, loves hopes, loves endures, love, love never ends, to do those four verbs means that there's going to be sometime a reason for love not to endure and for love to end. You think about that? That, that to, 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 to do those five verbs that love believes, hopes, bears, there's going to be a reason to not, for love not to bear all things. There's going to be a reason for love not to endure, not to hope, and there's going to be a reason for love to end. That's the implication there. So when you, next time you go to a wedding and everybody's and they're reading that passage, and everybody's like, oh, that's so precious. They're going to be tested. And those of us who've been married past our honeymoon are like, amen, Right? If you've joined a small group, you're like, wow, I used to think I liked Christians until I got around them, right? I mean, we're all going to be tested that there's going to be a reason, an excuse, an opportunity for love to wane, for love to, to, to go cold, for it to go dormant, for it not to bear, not to endure, not to believe, not to hope, and for it to end. And let me illustrate it this way. I'll show you here on the screen. So if, if you think about you and a them, and the them could be someone that you just don't like. It could be a group of people you don't like or you don't agree with. Uh, a them for some of you might be your spouse, might be, might be one of your kids is a prodigal, might be that person at work, you know. And, and as much as it would be easy to say, God, would you just kind of move them out of my life, right? That, that's not what love does. We just read that, right? So what happens is inevitably inevitably, whether it's a marriage, whether it's a family, whether it's a church, whether it's a small group, whether it's a work environment, a sports team, your third period English class, what happens inevitably is a gap forms between me and you or between me and my them, okay? And, and my them can be my wife. It can be my sons. It can be somebody in the church. I mean, a gap, a gap, meaning a gap is Man, they didn't do what I thought they should do. A gap is I sinned against them. A gap is they sinned against me. A, a, a gap is when what I expected is different from what I got from them. I mean, so anything, there's a sin in here. There's a barrier in here. For, for some people, let's just keep it real. Race keeps the gap. First, it creates the gap for you. For some people, socioeconomics keeps the gap. For some people, you know, your, your self-righteousness creates a gap and you just sort of think you're here and everybody else is here. 
right? And so you're, the way you view religion. So, so many things can create this gap. And here's the question I want to ask us to wrestle with this weekend, all at our campuses online, is what do you tend to put in the gap? When you experience a gap, when you experience something here, what do you put into it? And, and there's some usual suspects. A lot of people put anger, frustration, amen, I heard it, right? A lot, you know, we might even put bitterness. We might even put, I'm giving up. I'm walking away. Well, we can put, we, some people might put revenge. Some people might say, I'm going to isolate from them. I'm going to ignore them. I'm going to withdraw from them. So we put a lot of things in the gap, but let's just be real. Let's be honest. What we don't put into the gap is a love that hopes, bears, believes all things. We just don't. And, and, and I want to go deeper into what we put into the gap because I was thinking about this and I was like, you know, I was, I was praying. I was like, you know, we could talk about anger. And, and we put anger in the gap. And God, we live in a rage world, don't we? I mean, there's rage. I mean, it's all around us. And so we could talk about anger. But then I was like, you know what? I get angry at my boys. I get angry at Beth and vice versa. Amen, right? Um, uh, and we, I, we could talk about bitterness. We could talk about frustration. But the real problem that, that happens is when anger and frustration and bitterness and, 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 and like isolation and withdrawal, when those things sort of harden and this thing comes out, and, and I'll tell you what this thing is in, in just a second, but, but I, I was reading about this thing that, that we're, that, that's the dangerous thing to put in the gap. And, 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 I, and one Bible-like blogger, he said, this is the new dominant spirit of our age. Now, now, a spirit is, you know, when you walk into a room, like, man, it's just friendly in here. When you walk into a room, like, God, it's just cold in here. When you, walk, when you get online, like, man, there's just an angry spirit in, in this social media thread or in these posts, right? So you know what I mean by spirit. So, so the danger for us is when a gap is created between me and you or me and my them is that we put cynicism in there. Cynicism. Cynicism is a hardened anger. Cynicism is a hardened bitterness. It's where I'm going to get mad at you or bitter towards you or isolated from you, and it's not going to change. So let me, let's define it a couple of ways. It's an attitude of what I'd call hardened pessimism. Have you ever said this to someone or thought this of someone? They always, they'll never. That's what I mean. I'll, or you said, I'll never get over what you did to me. That's a hardened pessimism. So, so let, me, let me give you a longer definition. It's on the TV for us. When our hearts are overwhelmed by negative emotions and mindsets toward another person or group. Now, here's the challenge. Because cynicism is the dominant spirit of the age, right, we're increasingly say, living in a world where it's just okay. It's just normal to be cynical about 
him about politics, about race, about church, about that group of people that I don't like or that group of people that's not like me. I mean, and when cynicism comes into a church, when cynicism comes into a marriage, when cynicism comes into any relationship, that gap that I showed you previously, and I said, what are we putting the gap? That's when love quits. Where, where cynicism begins, love ends. And so when we see a spirit of cynicism invade the church that Jesus created, the church that Jesus called to love as he has loved, guess what? We become, we're starting to fail in our mission. We're starting to fail in our mission and our understanding. Now, let, let, let us press this a little bit more because one thing we got to admit just to keep it real, cynicism is usually right about something. It's just wrong in the long-term response. Think about that. You can be right. What they did to you was wrong. The way that group of people acted was out of bounds. What he said, what they posted was inappropriate. But if you give in to a long-term response of hardened suspicion, doubt, pessimism, anger, your love for them, that group of people will end, and then your faithfulness to what Jesus called, created, and died for you to be has waned in its effectiveness, and you're not being a witness to Christ, and the church is no longer bearing witness to Christ. So, so e even Paul sort of alluded to the fact that we can have anger towards someone, anger at someone. I mean, there can even be righteous anger. That's all cool. But he's like, you can't stay that way. So here's what he says. He says, if you're angry, be sure that it is not out of wounded pride or bad temper. So make sure your anger is justified and it's holy. And never go to bed angry. Because so, if we go to bed angry, don't give the devil that sort of foothold. Because what Satan wants to happen is he knows, we're all, you know, he, he knows that when people get married, it's two sinners coming together. And what happens when two porcupines get close to one another? Amen, they poke, right? So we poke each other. What happens when we bring sinners into the church? And, 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 you know, and we get in small group and we start, our, our quirks come out and we have confession or we have transparency. We poke each other. It's called, it's just, it is life. And, and the question is, what do you do when that gap from getting poked is created? And so what Paul is saying, you can't let the negative feeling, the negative emotion, the negative mindset harden. You can't let it linger. You got to resolve it. You got to do something with it. Don't let it go. Don't take it to bed with you. And, and the challenge is this. Cynicism, the spirit of our age, cynicism is sinful because it's lost hope. And there's no love without hope. Let me say that again. Cynicism is sinful because it's lost hope. And there's no love without hope. So we can, we can never look at another person and, and, and say, man, they'll never get saved. They're just, they're just such a rebel. We, we can never look at our families and just give up on our kids or our spouses we can't do that for the communities we're placed in. We can't do that for our nation. We can't do that for the world. We're not called to be cynics. Now, the challenge here, and I, I think I'm going to go a layer deeper. The challenge here 
is bigger than, than, than just, hey, don't get cynical. Because what, what, what's happened is this. We've got a way we look at the world. I'm going to call that worldview. We'll start hitting that a little bit more in our new series, right? But, but it's called worldview, how I view the world. And, and the world wounds us. The people of the world, the way of the world, the world's broken. I'm broken. You're broken. We're porcupines, remember? So, so what happens is, is we start looking at the world and we look to the world to satisfy us. We look to the world to love us back. We look to the world to satisfy these existential needs of who am I and why am I here and how do I feel good about myself and how do I have a sense of purpose? And we look to the world and then the world wounds us and we get jaded. And then we go look at another and we go look maybe at another part of the world uh, and say, satisfy me, heal me. And then we get wounded and we get jaded. And, and here's what our age is suffering from. And I'm talking about our age, the, the era that you and I live in. We don't know what to do with brokenness. And the world is broken. We don't, we don't know what to do with pain because our worldview is wrong, if you will. Our worldview is off, if you will. Because, you know, think about it this way. Think about it this way. In the 20th century, the belief was science is going to save us, right? All this medical advances, all the technology, the, the birth of the computer, and, and science will save us. Evolutionary theory came onto play in the early part of the 20th century, and, man, all this stuff came into play. And we as the human race killed more people in the 20th century than, any century, than the combined centuries that have been, you know, where history was recorded. Right? I mean, and then we get hit with a virus, and we're like, well, science has got to save us, and something's got to save us, and we're just looking at the world to save us, and we're getting wounded, and we're getting wounded, and we're getting wounded. And then we go into relationships, and we think, man, that person's going to fulfill me, complete me, and Jerry Maguire me, right? And we go into marriages, and we're like, man, I didn't marry a sinner. I married a saint, and she's going to fulfill me, and he's going to fulfill me. And then you get married to him, and then you spend the night with him, and then you share a bathroom with him. You're like, who did I marry? Married a porcupine. That's who you married, right? And then we come into church, and we're like, man, church is supposed to be, church isn't supposed to have problems. Well, then don't find one. I mean, if you find one, you might mess it up. I don't know. I mean, so because so, we're all porcupines, Right. And, and, and so we need a worldview. We need a way of looking at one another and looking at the world where we don't pin our hopes and we don't pin our dreams and we don't pin our happiness on a porcupine. And what has God done in Christ? And this is where so many of us in the Bible Belt, especially, we stop. We stop at God's going to take me to heaven when I die. No, God's going to put his spirit and his spirit of love into you while you live so you can love as he has loved, and he satisfies you with his love so you're not dependent on someone else's love. Watch what Paul says. He says, let's give thanks to the Father who has made us fit to share all the wonderful things that, of those who belong, that belong to those who live in the kingdom of light. And there's an analogy he's going to draw. But this wonderful thing, some translations say an inheritance. Here, here's what that means. Now listen to me. Here's what that means. It means the best is always yet to come for the Christ follower, for the adopted son or daughter of the king, 
means the best is always yet to come. It does not matter what my wife does to me, the best is always yet to come. She can't hurt me so bad that I can never lose hope because I have been promised a kingdom inheritance. I've been promised wonderful things if I belong to the kingdom of the light. That, that, I mean, nobody in Washington, D.C. can take away my ultimate hope. Nobody can do that. A war can't do that. A, a, a bad day at the office can't do that. A prodigal kid can't do that. Because why? Because we live in the kingdom of light. Now, he goes another layer and he says, For God, or the Father, has rescued us out of the darkness and gloom of Satan's kingdom and brought us into the kingdom of his, his dear son. And these are all present tense. This is not something that, we ha- that, that we're waiting to die for these things to happen. We are moved out of the kingdom of darkness and gloom into the kingdom of light. And what happens, though, is some of us, when it comes to love and relationships, we're still living in the kingdom of darkness and gloom. But we've been transferred into the kingdom of light so that now I can look at relationships differently. I can look differently at other people. I'm not sitting here living with the fear of people. Will they like me? Will they not like me? Will they hurt me? Will they not hurt me? I'm not looking at Beth and saying, man, she's got to make me whole. She's got to complete me. She's got to make me happy. And if she doesn't, I'll just trade her in for another which is the worldview that we live in. That's the kingdom of doom and darkness. So, I, so far be it from me to pin my identity, my approval, my happiness on another human being that's a porcupine. Instead, I get my identity, I get my happiness, I get love from the one whose love never fails and did bear all things because it bore the cross for you and for me. So what God, through the apostle Paul, is saying when he says, hey, love never ends, and it needs to believe and bear and hope and endure all things, and to to believe and hope and bear and endure all things, and things have to happen that would give us reason to not want to believe, hope, endure, and bear all things, right? So what Paul is teaching us about love is this, because is that life, people, and the world are unstable, unpredictable, and unreliable. But our love, as a reflection of his love, is supposed to be unwavering. In fact, he concludes this whole train of thought with a command in chapter 14, verse 1, pursue love. So when you give me a reason from a worldly standpoint not to love you, I'm still commanded to pursue love to you and with you. You see that? So when that gap that we showed emerges, the command is not to quit. It's not to go to bed angry and let all that junk harden into cynicism. It's not to isolate. It's not to withdraw. It's to pursue love because the love we're called to give to other people is unwavering. Now, there's an order involved in all of this. There's an order. And my fear, anytime I preach a message like this, is that you or I get it out of order and we put the cart before the horse. The horse that drags this cart of love is Jesus and the gospel. Listen to what Paul says. May the Lord direct your hearts to God's love and Christ's endurance. So the first thing 
that I've got to get my mind on and, and get my heart directed to, and you pray this over yourself, right, is I've got to look at God's love and Christ's endurance. I've got to look at Christ hanging on to the cross for those six fatal hours on that Friday as we move into the Easter season, right? I've got to look at Christ, and I've got to look at his love. But the temptation is this. We want to look at the gap. We don't want to look at the God who closed the gap with us. We want to look at you and the gap you created between us. And so what's our focus? When we get hurt, when somebody doesn't meet expectations, when there's a sin issue that goes in the gap, when there's a problem, whatever it is, when the porcupines, boom, poke. We just look at the pain or the disappointment or the unmet expectation and the correlating emotion, anger, frustration, bitterness. And if we keep looking at it, you know what happens? It starts to harden. And if it starts to harden, it becomes cynicism, which is baked in dried cement of cynicism that they'll never, it'll never, it won't work, we can't, we're just going to have to live like this. And hope has died and endurance has died. And thus love has died. So how do we move forward? And listen, I know we're all over the map. We're a church of people from all walks of life. Some of you have just come back to church. Some of you are here for the first time. Some of you have grown up in church. But we've all been discipled students of the world out there instead of the God who's spoken to us right here. Right? So we've got we to unlearn some things and we'll, so we can learn to do love the way our Savior, our King, our Lord has done love, shown love, and given love. So the first thing I'm just going to say is, look, whatever you normally put in the gap, just start to doubt it, okay? Just start to doubt it because there is going to be a gap. There is going to be a gap. We we said that from the beginning. So for me, for me, when, when there's a gap between me and another person, my number one emotion, my number one go-to is just frustration. Okay, and if I'm not careful, that frustration, I freeze someone and I'm just frustrated, which is that hardened pessimism of cynicism. So what this application calls me to do is, Matt, you may have a right to be, a reason to be, an excuse to be frustrated, but you need to doubt that frustration. Don't let that frustration or whatever your go-to is, don't let that Take authority over your next step. Hear what I said. Don't let that go-to thing that you put in the gap that's your go-to. I'm I'm angry. I'm a rager. I'm a a withdrawer. I'm a bitter. I get bitter. I want to get even. Whatever it is, don't let, doubt it. Don't give it authority so that it does not determine your next step. Okay? That's number one. Now, the second thing we're going to do is normally, what do we do? We look at the gap or we look at what caused the gap. What we have to do now is look above and beyond the gap. We have to look above and beyond the gap. We have to look beyond the gap to win what? The inheritance we have to the hope that we have in Christ. So what we're going to do is I I, I can be fixated on the gap. I can be fixated on the frustration, but we're going to look above it to the cross. 
May the Lord direct your hearts to God's love and Christ's endurance. Where is God's love most clearly seen? Where is Christ's endurance most clearly seen? It's seen on the cross. So instead of looking at what you did or what we did to each other, instead of looking at, gosh, he left the toilet seat up for the 17th time. I'm so tired of that, right? Instead, whatever that is, we're going to look up here. We're going to look up here, okay? And, and, and our goal, listen to me, is to see them not through the gap, but to see them through the cross. Because that's how God sees you. If God saw me without the cross, the only thing he could give me is wrath. Because he's just and he's holy and I'm not. But what does God do? He finds a way to satisfy his wrath and his justice so that I don't get wrath. I get loved with unwavering, steadfast love. And so God says, I want you to do that for other people in your life because that's what I did for you. Now, let's just stop for a second, okay? Just stop. Can you imagine if we did that? Can you imagine for those of you that struggle with racism or bigotry, is, is, is you said, no, 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 no. You, you looked at that through the cross. It, racism would die just like that. Just like that. Can you imagine if in your marriage, when the porcupines poke, if before you did anything, said anything, stormed out, said something that you can't take back, you got your eyes up and beyond to the cross. Can you just imagine what that would do for marriages? Imagine what it would do for how we communicate with each other online, on emails and social media. Can you imagine if our leaders, because our leaders, what do they want to do? Get cynical and blame and point the finger. Can you imagine if they got their eyes up and beyond? I mean, it, it's just a total game changer. It's a total game changer. But if you take the cross away, what do you have? Every reason in the world to get cynical. And stay that way. And then love dies. But because of God, there is always hope. There's always hope. We don't, we never can, we don't ever have to give up hope. We can always believe the best. We can always believe what God can do. We can say, you know, God can save this marriage. God can save this person's soul. God can bring hope into this family. God can bring salt and light into this workplace that he has placed me in. Because of him and his cross. Now, the fourth thing I'm going to say is going to challenge everybody. But I want to go back to, before I put it up here on the screen, I want to go back to what we, just, what we said at the very, very beginning. Paul is teaching through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit that love is not supposed to cease, end, die. It's supposed to endure, hope, believe, and never end, right? And for, but we're going to have reasons for love to, to stop, for, to lose hope, to quit believing, to quit enduring, right? And some of us get confused by God. 
I want to unconfuse this because we start saying, God, why would you make me have to do this? Why would you make me have to deal with this? Why would I have to go through this? And I want everybody to hear me. And I say this with the full backing and the full authority of Scripture. God will give you more than you can bear, but never more than he can bear because he bears all things. And see, what happens is we go into whether it's a marriage or a church or a small group or a work environment, and we're just like, man, this is just going to be awesome. And, 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 and then, you know, they disappoint you. They let you down. You, see, you, you know, the porcupine's poke, right? And, and what are we like, God, why? 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 I can't do this. When you say you can't, you are very close to where God wants you to live. Because when you can't, he can. When you can't bear, he does bear, he will bear. When you can't, that's when he's calling you to get your eyes up and beyond and on the cross. When you can't, that's when this takes into effect. God, I can't get past the gap. God, I can't hang, I can't bear with them. I can't endure with them. I can't hope in them. You are so close. So close, because then all you have to do is say, but you can, you can, and you have. So I'll let you, and, you, and, it, and it just changes things. It just changes things. So I'll tell you a story, and we'll close, all right? These two young Christian girls, Corey Ten Boom and her sister Betsy, were placed in Nazi concentration camps in World War II. She writes about it in this famous book called The Hiding Place. So every Friday, the German soldiers would line all the prisoners up naked, and they would go through an inspection. And, uh, and, and you know, the hardened faces of the guards, they would mock them and sneer at them, and these girls and these guys just walking naked for a medical inspection. And she's doing this one Friday, and this thought comes to her mind. And it's not how evil those guards are. I'm not arguing that they were or that they weren't, but she's not she she goes here to the cross and she's like, Jesus hung on the cross naked for me. And she ta and she whispers to her sister, she says, Hey Betsy, they took away Jesus' clothes too. And her sister Betsy's like, she heard her gasp, and she goes, oh, and I never thanked him. How grateful are we this weekend for the love that he's shown us here? Because the love that he's shown us here overcomes, transcends, any lack of love here so that what we can give is the love that he's given us. So I just close with this question. Where is God calling you to have a love that bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things, a love that never ends? That's our calling, church. And it's not just for our families. 
It's not just for people that agree with us. It's not for just people who look like us. It's for all people that God puts us in a position to intersect their path so that they might get a glimpse of this from us to them. So let's pursue love. Let's pursue love. Let's pursue love. Because he's pursued us. And I'll close with this. Corey, I've never thanked him. Would you thank God as I pray in just a moment for how he's loved you? Because you and I should have gotten wrath, but we got the cross and get the love. And as we thank him, some of you may, may have understood that I've never received his love. I've never invited Jesus to be my savior. I've never, uh, I can't call him father. I, I, I would get his wrath if I died tonight. He's inviting you to receive his love, his salvation, and become his son, become his daughter. So if that's pounding on you right now, that's the Holy Spirit. It's not Matt Evans, it's not Rockbridge, it's the Holy Spirit of a holy God. The Spirit that raised the dead body of Jesus knocking at your heart, knocking at your life. So look to him, say yes to him, and become one of his own. So let's thank him for his love. And then let's walk out of here with a commitment to pursue giving that love to whoever is in our path. We pray together. God, I, I just want to stand with my brothers and sisters and everybody that's gathered, everybody that's engaged online. And, and, and God, we just want to thank you. I, I think so many times, uh, my, my, just thank you for everything you did from that Friday to that Sunday morning. And as we're in the middle or moving toward the Easter season, God, I, I just pray for a renewal of the understanding of your love on the gospel, in the gospel, and your love on that cross. And we just thank you for it. God, there's some people here that, that they need to say yes to that love and to, and to say yes to you as their Savior, their King, their Lord, their leader. And they're realizing right now how much you love them. And, and they're receiving your spirit, your grace, your forgiveness. You're receiving eternal life. They're receiving a new identity, a new hope. A new, they're becoming a new creation. And so for those folks, we just say thank you. But God, it doesn't just stop. We've been transferred out of this kingdom of darkness and gloom into the kingdom of light. So we want to shine your light, share your light, show your light. And that light is somehow going to look like your love for us. So I just want to pray, God, we would pursue love. And we would recognize that love bears all things, believes all things hopes all things. Love endures. Love never ends. Thank you, Jesus, for loving us all. In your mighty name we pray. Amen.